Talkspace.com, feeling better starts with a single message. Support for individual, therapy for me, couples, therapy for us, teens ages 13 to 17, psychiatry, medication management, Talkspace accepts insurance, rated number one online therapy, 1 million users, employee stress check report, what's behind the great resignation, read the results of this year's survey, introducing more flexibility, learn about how Talkspace has updated their line sessions for uh, to better serve you, mental health checkup, take a short online test to get answers about your mental health, how Talkspace works, brief assessment, answer a few questions about your preferences, pick your therapist, select from a list of recommendations, start therapy, begin the journey toward a happier you, benefits of Talkspace, eliminate commute time and scheduling hassles, flexible plans to meet your needs and lifestyle, seamlessly switch therapies at no extra cost. Save money while receiving high-quality care. Ready to get started? Talkspace offers comprehensive online mental health treatment options to meet all your needs via video, messaging, or phone. Online therapy, ongoing support from a licensed therapist, couples therapy, relationship-centered therapy that connects you and your partner, teen therapy, specialist therapy for ages 13 to 17, psychiatry, evaluations, and psychiatric medication management, more than 60,000. Five-star reviews, licensed providers providing a range of specialties to meet your specific needs in areas like depression, relationship anxiety, and uh, stress, parenting, LGBTQIA, chronic illness, eating disorders, anger management, childhood abuse, mood disorders, OCD, trauma, and grief, substance abuse, family conflict, and much more. Get matched today, Talkspace versus face-to-face therapy. 80% found the Talkspace to be as effective or more effective than the traditional therapy. 98% found Talkspace to be more convenient than traditional therapy and Talkspace for business. Talkspace partners with employers, health plans, and schools to make mental health care more available and affordable. Rothy's.com. Add comfort to your gift list. Meet Rothy styles from men's and women's shoes to a wide array of bags. Discover sustainable styles made for all. Better for the planet. Rothy's believes there's a way to do things and one that puts the planet and its people first. From better materials to manufacturing and finally to recycling. Rothy's is committed to closing the gap at every step. Give $20, get $20. Tell a friend about Rothy's and you'll both get $20 off your next purchase. So go ahead, tell a friend. The gift of choice. Take the guesswork out of gifting with a pick that never goes out of style. Stay in the know. Try Rothy's today for better comfortable shoes that are better for the planet. Good morning. Hope you have a good week. Uh, today's U.S. President is U.S. President number 39, James Jimmy Carter, Part 1. James Earl Carter, Jr., born October 1st, 1924, is an American politician, philanthropist, and former farmer who served as the 39th President of the United States from 1977 to 1981. A member of the Democratic Party, he previously served as Georgia State Senator from 1963 to 1967, and as the 76th governor of Georgia from 1971 to 1975. Since leaving the presidency, Carter has remained active in the private sector and 
In 2002, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work of co-founding the Carter Center. Raised in Plains, Georgia, Carter graduated from the United States Naval Academy in 1946 with a Bachelor of Science degree and joined the United States Navy where he served on submarines. After the death of his father in 1953, Carter left his naval career and returned home to Georgia to take up the reins of his family's peanut-growing business. Carter inherited comparatively little, little due to his father's forgiveness of debts and the division of the estate among the children. Nevertheless, his ambition to expand and grow the Carter's peanut business was fulfilled. During his period, Carter was moved to, <coughs> to oppose the political climate of racial segregation supports the growing civil rights movement. He became an activist within the Democratic Party from 1963 to 1967. Carter served in Georgia State Senate, and in 1970, he was selected as governor of Georgia, defeating former Governor Carl Sanders in the Democratic Party on an an anti-segregation platform advocating affirmative action for ethnic minorities. Carter remained as governor until 1975, despite being a dark horse candidate who was little known outside of Georgia at the start of the campaign. Carter won the 1976 Democratic presidential nomination. In the general election, Carter ran as an outsider and nearly defeated incumbent Republican President Gerald, R- Gerald Ford. On the second day in August, Carter pardoned all the Vietnam War draft evaders by issuing Proclamation 4483 during Carter's term as president, two new cabinet-level departments, the Department of Energy and the Department of Education, were established. He established a national energy policy that includes conservation, price control, and new technology. In foreign affairs, Carter pursued the Camp David Accords, the Panama Canal Treaties, a second round of strategic armed limitation talks, SALT II, and the return of the Panama Canal Zone to Panama. On the economic front, he confronted persistent stagflation. Stagflation, a combination of high inflation, high unemployment, and, high, and slow growth, ended his presidential tenure, was marked by the 1979-1980 Iran hostage crisis, the 1979 energy crisis, the three-mile iron nuclear accident, and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. In response to the invasion, Carter escalated the Cold War when he ended the Tente, imposed a great embargo against the Soviets, enunciated the Carter Doctrine, and led a 1980 summerless boycott in Moscow. In 1980, Carter faced a challenge from Senator Ted Kennedy in the primaries, but he won re-nomination at the 1980 Democratic National Convention. Carter lost the general election to Republican nominee Ronald Reagan in an electoral landslide. Polls of historians and political scientists usually rank Carter as as a below-average president. He offers these more positive valuations for his post-presidential work. In 1982, Carter established the Carter Center to promote and expand human rights. He has, extra, he has traveled extensively to conduct peace negotiations, monitor elections, and, and advance disease prevention and eradication in developing nations. Carter is considered as a key figure in the Habitat for Humanity charity. He, was, he has written over 30 books ranging from political memoirs to poetry while continuing to actively co- comment on ongoing American and global affairs, such as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Three earliest Serving of the five living U.S. presidents, Carter is the longest-lived president, the longest retired president, the first to live 40 years after their inauguration, and the first to reach the age of 95. Early life, James Carter Jr. was born on October 1st, 1924, at the Wise Sanitarium, now the Lillian G. Carter Nursing Center in Plains, Georgia, a hospital where his mother was employed as a registered nurse. Carter was the first U.S. president to be Born in a hospital, he was the eldest son of Bessie Lillian Need Gordy and James Earl Carter Sr. 
Carter, a descendant of English immigrant Thomas Carter, who settled in Virginia in 1635. Numerous generations of Carters lived as cotton farmers in Georgia. Carter is also a descendant of Thomas Cornell, an answer to Cornell University founders, founder, and is distantly related to Richard Nixon and Bill Gates. Plans was a boomtown of 600 people at the time of Carter's birth. Carter's father was a successful local businessman who ran a general store and was an investor in farmland. He previously served as a reserve second lieutenant in the U.S. Army's quartermaster corps during World War I. The family moved several times during Carter's, Carter Jr.'s infancy. The Carter settled on a dirt road in nearby archery, which was almost entirely populated by impoverished African-American families. They eventually had three more children, Gloria, Ruth, and Billy. Carter got along well with his parents, although his mother worked long hours and was often absent in his childhood. Although Earl was staunchly pro-segregation, he allowed his son to befriend the black farmhand's children. Carter was an enterprising teenager who was given his own acre of Earl's farmland where he grew, packaged, and sold peanuts. He also rented out a section of tenant housing that he had purchased. Education. Carter attended the Plains High School from 1937 to 1941. By that time, archery and Plains had been impoverished by the Great Depression, but the family benefited from New Deal farming subsidies, and Earl took a position as a community leader. Young Jimmy was a diligent student with a fondness for reading. A popular antidote folds that he has passed over that he was passed over for Valedictorian as he and his friends skipped school to adventure downtown in a hot rod. Carter's truancy was mentioned in a local newspaper, although it was not clear he would have been Valedictorian anyway. Carter's teacher Julia Coleman was especially strong influence as an adolescent Carter played on the Plains High School basketball team. He also he also joined the future farmers of America developing lifelong interest in woodworking. Naval career. Carter had long dreamed of attending the U.S. Naval Academy in 1941. He started undergraduate coursework in engineering at Georgia Southwestern College in nearby Americas. The following year, he transferred to the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, and he earned admission to the Naval Academy in 1943. He was a good student, but was seen as reserved and quiet in contrast to the Academy's culture of aggressive hazing of freshmen. While, the, while at the Academy, Carter fell in love with Rosalind Smith, the friend of his sister Ruth. The two married shortly after his graduation in 1946. He was a sprint football player for the Navy Midshipmen. Carter graduated 60th out of 80, 820 midshipmen in the class of 1946 with a Bachelor of Science degree and was commissioned as an ensign. From 1946 to 1953, Carter and Rosalind lived in Virginia, Hawaii, Connecticut, New York, and California during his deployments in the Atlantic and Pacific fleets. In 1940, he began officer training for submarine duty and served aboard USS Pomfret. He was promoted to lieutenant junior grade in 1949. In 1951, he became attached to the diesel-electric USS SK-1, a.k.a. USS Barracuda, qualified for command and served in civil duties, including executive officer. In 1952, Carter began an association with the U.S. Navy's Flooding Nuclear Submarine Program, then led by Captain, G, Captain Hyman G. Rickover. <coughs> Rickover's demands on his men and machines were legendary, and Carter later said that Next to his parents, Rickover was the greatest influence on his life. He was sent to the Naval Reactors Branch at the Atomic Energy Commission in Washington, D.C. for three-month temporary duty while Rosalind moved with, his children, with their children to 
Schenectady, New York, on December 12, 1952, an accident with the NRX reactor at Atomic Energy of Kansas Chalk River Laboratories caused a partial meltdown, resulting in millions of liters of radioactive water flooding the reactor's building's basement. This left the reactor's core ruined. Carter was ordered to Chalk River to lead the U.S. maintenance crew that joined other American and Canadian service personnel to assist in the shutdown of the reactor. The painstaking process required each team member to don protective gear and be lowered into the reactor for a few minutes at a time, limiting their exposure to radioactivity while they disassembled the crippled reactor. During and after his presidency, Carter said that his experience at the Chalk River had shaped his views on atomic energy and led to the development of a neutron bomb. In March 1953, Carter began Nuclear Power School, a six-month non-credit course covering nuclear power plant operation at Union College at Schenectady. His intent was to eventually work aboard USSC Wolf, which was planned to be one of the first two new U.S. nuclear submarines. However, Carter's father died two months before the construction of Sea Wolf began, and Carter sought and obtained a release from active duty to enable him to take over the family peanut business. Decided to leave Schenectady proved difficult, settling after moving so much. Rosalind had grown comfortable with their life, returning to small-town life, implanting the monument step backward, and she said later, on the other hand, Carter felt restricted to the rigidity of the military and yearned to assume a path more like his father's. Carter left active duty on October 9, 1953. He served in, in the inactive Navy Reserve until 1961 and left the service with the rank of lieutenant. His awards included the American Campaign Medal Award, World War Two Victory Medal, China Service Medal, and National Defense Service Medal. Farming. Earl Carter died, a relatively wealthy man, having recently been selected, elected to the Georgia House of Representatives. However, between his forgiveness of debts and the division of his wealth among heirs, his son, his son Jimmy inherited comparatively little. For a year, Jimmy, Rosalind, and the three sons lived in public housing in Plains. Carter is the only U.S. president to have lived in subsidized housing before he took office. Carter was knowledgeable in scientific and technological subjects, and he set out to expand the family's peanut-growing business. The transition from Navy to agribusiness was difficult because his first year, harvest failed due to drought. Carter was compelled to open several bank lines of credit to keep the family afloat. Meanwhile, he also took classes and read up on agriculture while Rosalind earned learned accounting to manage the business's books. Though they barely broke even the first year, the cars grew the business and became quite successful. Early political career, 1963-1971. Georgia State Senator, 1963-1967. Racial tension was inflamed in plains by the 1952 U.S. Supreme Court's anti-segregation ruling in Brown v. Board of Education. Carter was in favor of racial tolerance and integration. At one point, the local white citizens council boycotted his peanut warehouse when he refused to join them, but he often kept those feelings to himself to avoid making enemies. By 1961, he was a prominent member of the community in the Baptist Church as well as chairman of the Sumter County School Board, where he began to speak more loudly in favor of school integration. A state senate seat was opened by the dissolution of Georgia's county unit system in 1962, Carter announced his run for the seat 15 days before the election. Rosalind, who had an instinct for politics and organization, was instrumental to his campaign. The initial results showed Carter losing, but this was a result of fraudulent voting orchestrated by Joe Hurst, the Democratic Party chairman in Quitman County, with the aid of Quitman County Sheriff. Carter challenged the results. When fraud was confirmed, a new election was held, which he won. 
The civil rights movement was well underway when Carter took office. He and his family had become staunch John F. Kennedy supporters beginning in 1962. The town of Americas was a site of mass beatings and incarcerations of black protesters, echoing similar unrest throughout the country. Carter remained relatively quiet on the issue at first, even as it polarized much of the country. To avoid alienating his segregation, segregating his colleagues, he did speak up on a few divisive issues, giving speeches against literacy tests and against the changes to the Georgia Constitution, which he felt implied a compulsion to practice religion. At the time of President Kennedy's assassination, Carter was informed by a customer of his peanut business of the killing, promptly Carter prompting Carter to remove himself from work and to sit alone. Carter later recalled the assassination, the greatest blow that I, suffered, that I had suffered since my father died. Carter was a diligent legislator who took speed reading courses to keep up with the workload. Within two years of his connections, landed him on the state Democratic Executive Committee, where he helped rewrite the state's party rules. He became chairman of the West Central Georgia Planning and Development Commission, which oversaw the disbursement of federal and state grants for projects such as historic site restoration. When Bo Calloway was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in November 1964, Carter Miller began planning to unseat him. The two had previously clashed over which two-year college would be expanded to a four-year college program by the state. Carter wanted to wanted it to go to his alma mater, Georgia Southwestern College, but Callaway wanted the funding to go to downtown Columbus. Carter saw Callaway, a Republican, as a rival who represented the inherited wealth and selfishness he despised in politics. Carter was re-elected in 1964 to serve a second two-year term for a time in the state Senate. He chaired its education committee. He also sat on the appropriation committee toward the end of his second term before his term ended. He contributed to contributed to a bill expanding statewide education funding and getting Georgia Southwest in a four-year program. He leveraged his regional planning work and gave his speeches around the district to make himself more visible to potential voters. The last day of the term, he announced his run for Congress. 1966-1970 campaigns for governor. The race for Georgia's third congressional district in 1966 was shaken up in mid May when the incumbent Bo Calloway dropped out and decided to run for governor of Georgia instead. Calloway had just switched from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party in 1964 and was a very strong candidate despite being the first Republican to run for governor of Georgia since 1876. State Democrats panicked over the process of losing the governorship they had held since Reconstruction. Carter decided to run for governor himself. In the Democratic Party, he ran against the liberal former Governor Ellis Arnold and the conservative segregationist Lester Maddox. In a press conference, he described his ideology as conservative, moderate, liberal, and middle of the road. I believe that I am a more complicated person than that. He lost the Democratic primary but drew enough votes as a third-place candidate to force Arnold into the Runoff election with Maddox. Maddox nearly won the runoff ballot over Arnold for the Democratic Party gubernatorial nomination in the general election. Calloway went to, on to win a plurality of the vote, but short of 50% majority state rules empowered the Georgia, the Georgia House of Representatives, which had a Democratic Party majority to elect Maddox as a governor. The result was a sharp blow to Carter, who was left deeply in debt. 
His attempt to rescue the race from Callaway had resulted in an unlucky election of the segregationist Maddox, which he considered an even worse outcome. Carter returned to his agriculture business and, during the next four years, carefully planned his debt campaign for governor in 1970. This period was a spiritual turning point for Carter. He grew increasingly evangel- evangelical, undertaking several religious missions in other states. Inspired by his sister Ruth and liberal theologians such as Reinhold Niebuhr, he declared himself born again, a growing movement in 1960s America. His last child, Amy, was born during this time on October 19, 1967. Governor Maddox was constitutionally prohibited from seeking a second consecutive term as governor, and the liberal former governor, Carl Sanders, became Carter's main opponent in the 1970 Democratic primary. Carter ran a more moderate, modern campaign this time around, employing printed graphics and statistical analysis and responding to poll data. Carter leaned more conservative than before. He positioned himself as a populist, quickly going negative against Sanders for his wealth, labeling him cuffling Carl. And associated him with the National Democratic Party. He accused Sutters of corruption, but when pressed by the media, could come up with no evidence through the campaign. Our Carter sought both the black vote and the Wallace vote after the prominent segregationist George Wallace of Alabama, while he met with black figures such as Martin Luther King Sr. and Andrew Young and visited many black-owned businesses. He also praised Wallace and promised to invite him to give a speech in Georgia. He implied support or dislike of private schools, depending on the audience. The appeal to racism became... More blatant over time, Carter's senior campaign aides handed out a photograph of his opponent Sunday celebrating with black basketball players. That, this, that September, Carter came ahead, came ahead of Sunday's in the first ballot of by 49 to 38%, leading it to a runoff. The subsequent campaign grew more, even more, grew even more bitter despite his early support for civil rights. Carter's campaign criticized Sanders for supporting Martin Luther King Jr. Carter won the runoff election with 60% of the vote, winning 7% of the black vote, and went on to win the general election easily over the Republican House seat. A local news anchor, he, once, he ele- once he was elected, Carter changed his tone and began to speak against Georgia's racist politics. Leroy Johnson, a black state senator, voiced his support for Carter, saying, I understand why he ran that kind of ultra conservative campaign. I don't believe you can win this state without being a racist. Georgia, uh, Governor of Georgia, 1971-1975. Carter was sworn in as a service governor of Georgia on January 12, 1971. He declared in his inaugural speech that the time of racial discrimination is over. No poor, rural, weak, or black person should ever have to bear the additional burden of being deprived of the opportunity for an education, a job, or simple justice. The crowd was reportedly shocked by this message, contrasting strikingly with Georgia's political culture and particularly Carter's campaign. The many segregationists who had supported Carter during the race felt betrayed. The time Time ran a story on the Progressive New South. Governors elected that year in May 1971, issue featuring a cover illustration of Carter. Lester Maddox, Carter's predecessor as governor, became lieutenant governor. Carter had endorsed Maddox, although the two did not campaign as a ticket. The two found little common ground during their four years of service as a public feuding. Richard Russell Jr., then President Pro Tempore of the United States Senate, died in office during Carter's second week in office. The newly inaugurated governor appointed David H. Gumbrell, state Democratic Party chair, to fill Russell's unexpired term in the Senate a week after Russell's death on February 1st.
Carter was elected to engage in backslapping and political favors, and the legislature found him frustrating to work with. He looked to aggressively expand the governor's authority while reducing the complexity of the state government. Therefore, he negotiated a bill allowing him to pro- propose executive restructuring and to vo- force a vote on it. He implemented serial-based budgeting within state departments and it added a judicial selection commission to verify the credentials of judges appointed by the governor. The reorganization plan was submitted in January 1992, but had a cool reception in the legislature, but after two weeks of negotiations, it was passed at midnight on the last day of the session. Ultimately, he merged about 300 state agents into 22, a fact he would emphasize in his presidential run, although it is disputed that there were any overall cost savings from doing so. In an April 3rd day since televised appearance, Carter was asked if he was in favor of a requirement that candidates for governor and lieutenant governor of Georgia would have to run on the same ticket. He replied, I've never really thought we needed a lieutenant governor in Georgia. The lieutenant governor is part of the executive branch of government, and I've always felt ever since I was in the state senate that the executive branches should be separate. Carter later clarified he would not introduce an amendment to put such a restriction in place. On July 8, 1971, during an appearance in Columbus, Georgia, Carter stated his attempt to establish a Georgia Human Rights Council that would work towards solving issues within the state ahead of any political violence. On, in a July 13, 1971 news conference, Carter announced his order of department heads to reduce spending for the aid of preventing a $57 million deficit by the end of the 1972 fiscal year, especially that each state department would be impacted and estimating that 5% more than revenue being taken in by the government would be lost if state departments continued to fall using allocated funds. On January 13, 1972, Carter requested the state legislature to provide funding for an early childhood development program along with prison reform programs and $48 million in pay taxes for nearly all state employees. On March 1, 1972, Carter stated a possible usage of a special session of the General Assembly could take place in the event that the Justice Department opted to turn down any reapportionment plans by either the House or Senate. On April 20, Carter issued the call for a special session for consideration of advisement for the usage of a three-person judge federal panel for performance on four judicial reform measures. In April 1972, Carter traveled to Latin and South America for a potential trade deal with Georgia. Carter stated that he had met with President of Brazil, Emilio Garastasu Medici, and been compared by some to the late President Kennedy. Civil rights were a heartfelt priority for Carter. He expended a number of black state employees, judges, and board members. He hired Rita Jackson Samuels, a black woman, to advise him on potential appointments. He placed portraits of Martin Luther King Jr. and two other prominent black Georgians in the Capitol building, even as the Ku Klux Klan picketed the unveiling ceremonies. Still, Carter tried to keep his conservative allies comfortable during a televised appearance with Governor of Florida Reuben Askew. On January 31st, 1970, Carter stated he favored a constitutional amendment to ban biasing for the purpose of expediting integration in schools. He co-sponsored an anti-busing resolution with George Walsh at the 1971 National Governors Conference, which Carter also hosted. After the U.S. Supreme Court threw out Georgia's death penalty statute in Furman v. Georgia, 1972, Carter signed a revised death penalty statute, which addressed the court's objections, thus reintroducing the practice in the state, Carter later regretted endorsing the death penalty, saying, I didn't see the injustice of it as I do now. Carter pushed reforms 
through the legislature that provided equal state aid to schools in the wealthy and poor areas of Georgia, set up community centers for mentally handicapped children, and increased education programs for convicts. He took pride in his program for the appointment of judges and state government officials. Under this program, all such appointments were based on merit rather than political influence. In one of his more controversial decisions, he vetoed plans to build a dam on Georgia's Flint River. After surveying the river and the ledger himself, he argues that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was underestimating both the project's cost and its impact on the region. The veto won the attention of Ironmonsters nationwide. Lieutenant William Calley was convicted. When Lieutenant William Calley was convicted in a military trial and sentenced to life for his role in the My Lai massacre in South Vietnam, a politically Polarizer issued Carter avoided paying direct tribute to Cali. He instead instituted American Fighting American Fighting Men's Day and asked Georgians to drive for a week with their lights on in support of the military. Stay tuned for part two of U.S. President number thirty nine, Jimmy Carter. <laughs>